Welcome to the Autofixation Podcast, a loud pedal production with your host Mark Farouk and Matt Powers. All right, welcome to the Autofixation Podcast. I'm Mark Farouk. With me is Matt Powers. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How was uh, how was Christmas? It was good, man. Good. Uh, low key because of COVID, of course. But yeah, uh, no, yeah, it's good. 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 Well, how was for you? It, uh, not bad. Not bad. You know, I, I the, the great thing about if there's you know I hate to say this, the great thing about COVID is it helps it helps you keep your circle very small. <laughs> so you you learn very quickly. Who are the who are your real friends and are those people you never like to begin with that you don't have to see anymore? <laughs> so right. I think it works out in everybody's favor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad at all. Um, any car related stuff for Christmas uh, this year? Anything? Uh... No, I mean I I got my Polestar two weeks before Christmas. That's so true. I, you know, so I think that's you already, kind of my that's my, my, true. my Christmas present. That's true. That's you know, true. I, I couldn't really justify yeah anything else. And, and I Santa, got my... Santa wasn't that generous this year in our family. Yeah. I mean, he was for the kids. But Cheap bastard. I, I know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. Uh, I mean, I got my uh, Audi SQ7 before December. I mean, you kind of consider it a Christmas present, though I don't celebrate Christmas. Maybe we'll call it an early birthday present to myself. <laughs> a Thanksgiving gift. Isn't Thanksgiving pre-Christmas anyway? Yeah, As some is. people yeah. call it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, anyway, so anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, Christmas or the holidays. Um, we actually had a few subjects to cover today, and we wanted to start, uh, for those of you that live in the Northern California, especially the Sacramento region, you have probably seen a lot of road construction on um, our major freeways here, whether it be uh, I, uh, Highway 5, uh, Highway 50. As I have commented many times, it's so convenient. They waited till after the COVID lockdown when um, everyone returned to work to start working on the roads and create uh, backlogs and delays. And so we just wanted to gripe and complain and uh, shake our fist at uh, what we've seen around us. And um, yeah, it's a problem. There's a lot going on, which is good. A lot of investment, which is good. Our roads are going to be better, but there's some things out there that you know could be better. And, And Matt, you and I were just talking about this before the podcast about kind of an information gap that's out there. Yeah, completely, Mark. I mean, I think, you know, as you said, the, there's there's been a lot of investment recently. You can you can see that um, some of the new funding sources that came online a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago are, are really making a, an impact. And there's been a lot of work on, like you said, the two major, major highways here. I mean, I think w- what we've noticed between the two of us is there's two types of information that it's not really being clearly communicated to drivers and people here in the, the the area which is you know when there are diversions or lane closures things like that when you're approaching them oftentimes they're extremely poorly marked and i think we we mm-hmm. both noticed this on on highway 50 the the lane diversion that they did mm-hmm. where they moved the eastbound traffic into the westbound lane 
and it sort of bifurcated the road, and then you can very easily miss your your off ramp if you don't realize that being in the left hand lane, which goes into the westbound lane, is 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 not going to be able to, to to get to the off ramp. So I think when you're driving, there's an information problem, and then I think also just generally knowing sort of the construction projects that are happening, what the mm-hmm. timelines for those are, mm-hmm. and what the scale of it is. I mean, I think. You know, we noticed here on Highway 5, both of us were driving along this recently, and with all this rain that we've been getting, um, we've got a brand new surface road, but the water's not really draining that well. And so, you know, it'd be great to kind of understand. Well, it is draining well for, for the water's perspective. It's draining from one side of the road to the other, <laughs> right across our, all four uh, lanes. Onto our windshields. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> uh, it's, uh, the water doesn't care if you hydroplane. Uh, but yeah, no, totally. Um, that's that's a really good point. I actually drove uh, through a recent storm there, and yeah, it was pretty. It was it was pretty intense because there was a lot of standing running water going across the road. Um, and I'm looking around, thinking, well, the road's really smooth. This all seems new. Where's the? Where, did somebody forget to put the drains in? What happened here? Exactly. And I mean, I think when we were kind of talking about this, we, I think both of us have noticed that roads in other areas, other states, other countries, they don't seem to perform like our roads do. You know, there seems to be an inordinate amount of water, standing mm-hmm. water on these areas. And I don't know if that's the way that the road is is, is, is formed, the, un, the underlayer, or if that's the type of materials that are being used. But I think it sort of goes to, you know, again, uh, it, both of us tried to find out information about, about this project, and it's, it's really unclear sort of what the standards are. What is what is Caltrans trying to accomplish with this, uh, you know, road improvement? Is it really just like sort of returning the road back to how it was before? Is it trying to improve drainage, make it make it a better performing road than the original standards? I mean, there's just so many, so many questions out mm-hmm. there, and it's really difficult to get to get information on on that so yeah it's you would think when we're spending 400 million dollars on on road improvements that there'd be you know better information but uh yeah yeah totally then you have you know the fix 50 project which is a a significant uh stretch of of road and it needs it you know it's it's going from the eastern part of sacramento through downtown they're widening the road and these are all things I don't think anyone would dispute that it's needed, but the number of times I have, whether it be late at night or whenever, driven around a, a corner or merging on the freeway and discover, oh, there's only one lane at work. Totally. Or the lane just shuts off right as you're merging on the freeway. No warning, no sign, no information whatsoever. Um, you know, frankly, I was lucky the first time it happened, I wasn't the particular own ramp is one that's, um, I sometimes enjoy to merge onto the freeway at a, at a higher rate of speed. And just that happened to be that time I did not, I was just kind of cruising through and I was very glad I didn't because anyone at any rate of speed coming on that own ramp would have been met with a unfortunate surprise. But I, my big complaint was, I just want to know, yeah, like, exactly. I, I, I understand the convenience I get it. I just want the information because I'll drive another way. I'll find a workaround. Do I need to leave my house earlier in the morning to get to work? And unfortunately, it seems the only way I find out. You just show up and like, oh, crap. Exactly. No, I I had that at the 55 interchange once. You know, like five had been shut down for this project I was mentioning earlier. And uh, you didn't realize that it had created a huge backlog until you'd sort of merged onto five 
And I could have very easily stayed on 50 and taken the, I think it was like the 14th Street exit or something, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and completely circumvented it and saved half an hour of time. And instead, I ended up on, in a huge traffic jam waiting half an hour to go, you know, a mile, a mile and a half. And so, yeah, it's just, I, 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 it makes me wonder whose responsibility it is for communicating that. Is that the construction company that's doing the work? Is it the, you know, local agency? It just, it seems to be very unclear. That's a good who question. Who is supposed that's to ensure that drivers have the necessary information? Well, even asking it, that question means that there's a lack of information. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't know who should be giving it, and 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 clearly they don't know either. But somebody needs to be providing, especially with all the means of communication we have today. And I will, with the exception of, I should not have to log into the cesspool that is Twitter to find <laughs> out traffic conditions. I'm just going to stop that right there. Now, I'm willing to accept other means. You tell me to follow a certain thing. I'll even follow something on Facebook if, if I have to, but I should not be required to go into Twitter to find out the status of our roads. Maybe it should be Google Maps. I mean, that kind of ties into a story we were talking about um, earlier today also, That's right? true. Or should it be Google Maps? I don't know. There's some people. Uh, so what we're kind of talking about is uh, if if, um, if if you're not in California right now, uh, we've had a series of storms, much needed storms, and record-breaking snow has been dumped on the Sierras. And I saw an article yesterday that uh, there were complaints, and I see we'll pull it up here. Um, regarding that people driving on uh, looks appears to be mostly Highway 50 through the Sierras going to Tahoe using Google Maps that Google Maps uh, so the 50s closed and Google Maps is telling them to take shortcuts through residential streets or other roads that are also closed and dangerous and so but evidently um, there's some finger pointing going on if this is the fault of Google or Caltrans or who's ultimately responsible. What I do notice uh, in this article on SF Gate could, couldn't possibly be the drivers themselves. No, could not mark, at all. I mean, not a, <laughs> the, the title of the article is Google Maps may have led Tahoe travelers astray during snowstorm. Uh, this is from uh, the 28th. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it couldn't possibly be that people just followed a map blindly into the in, into the outback. You know, this reminds me of the story of, of a few years ago. Someone followed Google Maps into a lake. <laughs> well, that's where it told me to go. Oh no! I, I, just like really, that's that's what we're we're, we're trying to. This just seems like um, just somebody. I, I don't know. I kind of think people are just blaming people for their own stupidity. I agree. Like the roads closed. See, the one thing I do know about information uh, on Facebook and Instagram, CHP, their Placerville and Tahoe uh, field offices have been really good with posting information. And they posted all this week the roads closed. Do not drive up here. Do not call us to ask us. The road is closed. Um, and people, in spite of all that, ignored it. I also saw a post from the El Dorado County Sheriff's Office that they were tired of people calling their offices asking if the roads open or close. They said, the roads are not our responsibility, and we don't know. Just assume that they're closed. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, a shout out to, to Caltrans on this one, because actually their website is, is really good to see road closures. They, 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 do, they do give pretty decent information about you know, where the, where the exact closures are, what the kind of impact is and some of, some of the traffic. And you're like, look, if you're driving in a snowstorm, 
you know, I think you have a certain level of responsibility to make sure that your car is properly equipped for mm-hmm. driving in mm-hmm. the, the, the conditions. Good friend of mine um, has snow tires on his four wheel drive vehicle. It, that's a fantastic investment and it makes driving with him more comfortable, clearly safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has much better access to, you know, the sort of more remote areas. Yeah. Of the mountains and 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 knowing the capabilities of your car, I mean that's the other thing, right? Hundred like, percent. You know, you need to know if your car is capable of making it through the the given traffic conditions, and also being able to recognize how the road conditions will affect the performance of your car. I mean, I've I've noticed this many times that people see snow on the ground, and they think that. <laughs> It's the same thing as ice. They they treat it like ice, but actually, when you're driving on snow, especially if you have you know reasonable tires, mm-hmm. I mean, if you have bald mm-hmm. tires, all, all bets are off. But if you have reasonable tires and you're driving on snow, it is possible to get reasonable traction. I mean, you should take appropriate measures, you know, to to like yeah. ensure that you have sufficient time to stop and stuff. But it's not per se ice. Driving on ice is a completely different ball game. And I think that mm-hmm. just you know people aren't. I think they don't have enough exposure to that, and perhaps aren't really taught how to drive in those types of conditions or how to recognize those oh definitely we barely so. teach people how to drive on normal city streets <laughs> in, in perfect conditions let alone snow and ice and, and winter and then yeah people relying on um uh, systems in their cars they've never really tested when the stress is not there and, and in part of it's me exactly. and maybe this is just coming from a time where before phones right where we still had to use maps to get places if I'm going to knowingly drive into these conditions, I'm already pre-planning the route. I'm not going to rely on on technology or the robot in the phone to tell me, "Oh, you should go down this road that ha- you know that's not lit, clearly hasn't been plowed, no services." Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to follow that. <laughs> like people, like have some common sense, please. I think the SQ5 would probably do pretty well on an unlit, unplowed road. It, I, I mean, I don't, we could, we should try it. Maybe. It probably, you know, you know what? You're we, probably we right. Go, you're do, pro- a, do a little drifting. I've not, seen you know, some videos drifting. that said it would, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. But another, uh, but you know what? Another tip for a lot of people, even if everything is is good, you should, uh, if you have any questions about your skill in these conditions. Uh, you should definitely have chains or cables with you because little known thing a lot of people don't know is that if you do get stuck or in, in any reason CHP has to intervene on your behalf you're pr- and that you don't have chains at least available or cables or whatever it is you're using, you can be fined for that. A lot of people don't know that. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so if they have to pull you out of a ditch and you don't have chains on you and there was a chain warning, you can, there's I don't know what the fine is, but there's a fine associated with that. Very interesting. So maybe we should find out. Yeah, so we should find. We should. You mean find out? Just drive yeah, and see yeah, what. Yeah. Happens. <laughs> Look it up. No, like, let's go no, put ourselves we, in that. Well, situation. we clearly can't trust take our Google. <laughs> I mean, their maps were misleading people. Can we ever trust their search ever again? <laughs> Probably not. Probably uh, not. But yeah, if you're, if you're, I, I, I guess I would just say. Um, in conclusion to this point, if you if you're willing to go off road because your GPS program told you to do so in a, in a snowstorm, you probably shouldn't be driving through a snowstorm to begin with. You may probably shouldn't be driving. Period. <laughs> I just say this, and I mentioned maybe, maybe dry sunny conditions. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll say this. Years ago, and I haven't tested this in a while, but every time I use Google Maps going to San Francisco. 
it would want me to exit from 80 to Treasure Island, circle Treasure Island, and get back on the freeway. I never follow that direction one time. <laughs> I just assume something's weird. I don't know what to, I'm. I know how to get into San Francisco, but I maybe there are people that actually followed. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain. I can't explain this. Um, but this is a good segue, and while we're bagging on people's driving, uh, to talk about. Uh, a topic that Matt and I have discussed for, on many occasions and had many rants about from our personal experiences and what we've seen is uh, drivers in Northern California and specifically Sacramento. You suck. You suck. You suck. I don't know. If the people listening to this podcast are probably, I would guess, better drivers. Yeah. But, I mean, generally speaking. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I would it's say it's generally pretty, pretty if, you're, if, you're, if, if you've taken the time to listen to this uh, or uh, or maybe you're being held hostage and being forced <laughs> to listen to this, that you probably are a fairly good driver. You're, you appreciate uh, driving and, and what goes into it. But for the most part, wow. What is your number one pet peeve, Mark? What is your number one pet peeve? I got to say it's it's the left lane camping. 100%. Left lane camping. 100%. And it, because so many things lead to it. There's so many causes. I think it's the single most dangerous thing. You it can is. Do behind the I, I think. I, I mean, sort of falling is. asleep. I guess. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you know. They're probably doing that too. <laughs> yeah. I have seen people in the left lane. I'm pretty sure we're asleep. <laughs> in Teslas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Um, there's been some research on this, and so I think a lot of people. So there, I think there's two types of people that camp in a left lane. There's that group of people that are completely oblivious. They don't check their mirrors they're, or they're on their phone. They're playing with the radio. I saw someone the other day who was texting and trying to eat a burger at the same time. So neither <laughs> hand on the wheel. Uh, I don't know how they were doing that. Or it's there's the, the, the knee. The knee. They're you using use the, knee. the knee. Yes, they're driving drive. with their knee. The other group are those that think, oh, well, I'm just going to peg it in the fast lane and by me going slow i'm making everyone safer i'm slowing traffic down these these kids today are driving too fast and um yeah but unfortunately the 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 research isn't on your side do-gooders if that's if that's your intention if you think being in the in the far left the passing lane the passing lane the passing lane emphasis on passing is 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 how you're 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 doing your good deed your charitable deed for society you're wrong you're actually contributing um a lot to accidents uh, because you're forcing people to change lanes you're impeding the flow of traffic exactly by forcing people to undertake it makes it more dangerous for everybody else mm -hmm. and i think it's it's very simple to visualize if you've got you know, a car in the number one lane, the, the fast lane, the passing lane, and you have a car in the number three lane. So if it's a three lane highway, mm -hmm. the slow lane, you've got the, in, so say you have an opening in the middle and the car and a car wants to pass uh, in the number one lane and they have to go under it into the number two lane and you have somebody trying to overtake somebody in the number three lane, <laughs> you're both fighting for space in that number two lane. So you're fighting for space in the middle lane, which creates a dangerous situation because you've mm -hmm. got cars sort of 
potentially coming together. And by having a better organized traffic flow, it would be safer for, for everybody. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's research out there that, that the, the, when people are doing this blocking the lane and that the changes in, in from one lane to the other. So changing lanes, so changing lanes accounts for 4% of all car accidents in the United States and about 10% of the accidents on highways. And, and so this is the folks that think that um, if you're impeding traffic in the passing lane, you're making things safer. Actually, you're just making things much more dangerous um, in, in, a, in a measurable way. Um, and, you know, I just want to bring up for folks that, that probably completely uh, did not read this part of the uh, California DMV online driver's handbook. Which you've studied. I've studied Studies. in detail, chapter and verse. <laughs> Um, so there's a, we pulled out a quote. This is from the online driver's handbooks. I don't have a page number for the physical handbook. I, I don't know if people still use those, but this is from the California DMV online driver's handbook. Quote, you must drive slower when there's heavy traffic or bad weather. This is where it gets really good here. However, if you block the normal and reasonable movement of traffic by driving too slowly, you may be cited. If you choose to drive slower than other traffic, do not drive in the number one lane. So when a driver is close to you and wishes to drive faster, you should move to the right, end quote. So this is from, doesn't say, oh my God, what if I'm going to speed limit and the person behind me is going faster than the speed limit? It makes no mention of speed limits. If you are impeding traffic in that lane, you need to move over. 100%. I 100% agree. I would actually say, though, you pulled up the California driver's manual. I pulled up the Dutch oh, driver's manual. Oh, European. European. Uh-huh. I was looking for the German one, which you can't find it because it's <laughs> German. I don't speak German. Um, and in the Dutch driver's manual, it says, it has one line about road positioning. I think it's clear. It's concise. I think it makes a lot of sense. Drivers are required to keep as far over to the right as possible. I think that's better because it speaks to your continuous positioning, right? The mm-hmm. cal- what you read about the California manual is you're required to move to the right when somebody wishes to pass you, which I think again allows more interpretation and potentially makes a more dangerous situation. You should just simply have to move to the right if the right lane is available for you to move into. I think it creates a more mm-hmm. active driver, you know, or requires a more active driver, and I think it's just safer. And then, of course, point number two under under that is that cyclists are permitted to ride two abreast because that's important to have in the no. manual for, for the for the Netherlands. <laughs> I'm going to leave the cyclist one alone for now. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> we don't want to get into that. Uh, but, you know, you raise a good point. You, you, you mentioned the... the uh, uh, the, uh, the Dutch um, example, but you know, the, if you look at the data on uh, road accidents, fatalities, injuries, Northern European countries, the Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, uh, Switzerland rank at the top for safety. Yeah, right. um, and they all are very much in that, in that category of maintaining uh, discipline uh, to to where you're at in the lanes. Also, Germany, uh, Germany having bigger population, more cars on the road. The numbers are higher, but they're still in the top. I believe it's top 15 safest driving countries. And think about the speeds that they're driving sometimes too. I mean, yeah, like that's, no that's, that's speed a, limits. That's a low, um, it's a low, portions low, of the autobahn, right? Exactly. 
Although, actually, I have a question for you, Mark, because, you know, when we're talking about the different types of drivers that drive in the left-hand lane, I think, I wonder, or I wonder how much um, of the traffic and the congestion also creates poor driving. I mean, there are clearly people that are just sort of camping out in the left lane, mm-hmm. not paying any attention. But I think there's also situations where, you know, you sort of emerge from a slowdown, you know, and the cars kind of begin to pick it back up to a highway pace. And then it's very unclear what everybody's sort of positioning is, and there's gaps to move over, but people don't do that because they like have this aspirational idea that oh, I'm going to drive faster than that car mm-hmm. that's just impeding me in the left lane. And so it's like everybody's almost creating their own kind of traffic jam because you know you've kind of come out of this slowdown, and there's just there's less clear rules to fall back on. I, I don't know. Have you sort of seen seen that, or how much do you think that's factoring into the to, to the left lane impingement that we're so yeah. fired up about. Well, there's a uh, there's actually a study in 2012, uh, understanding road usage patterns in urban areas, um, that found that uh, most traffic jams occur from a small number of slow cars obstructing traffic, and it creates a rippling effect. Interesting. Yeah. So, and you've probably seen it if you're on a stretch of road and you can see ahead, you'll see. It's usually a Prius or a Subaru <laughs> holding up traffic, and in front of them there's a huge open gap. And 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 or you see the other thing, which drives me crazy: the truck that moves in the left lane trying to pass another truck, and it takes like five miles to make the pass. <laughs> uh, and and that happens a lot on I five. Like if you do that trip, drive to Monterey or L A, you, you encounter that. That's right. I mean, yeah. And so that's that's an interesting point, Mark, because I think on you know the four lane, five lane highways that are here in these sort of urban areas where, where we live and we spend a lot of our mm-hmm. time driving, like, this is an annoyance and it's unsafe. But, you know, I guess you can undertake and there are maybe ways mm-hmm. to, to work around it. Um, on a highway like I-5, like you said, I mean, you really are dealing with two lanes for, you know, 100 miles, you know. And, yeah. and, and if you have some idiot sitting in the left lane, it really has an effect on traffic. And, you know, I guess I'm somewhat sympathetic to our truck driver listeners out there that need to use that left lane to move over. And, you know, for the most part, I noticed they do move to the right. They, eventually, yeah. the exception to that rule is <laughs> box trucks <laughs> that are rentals mm-hmm. from like, how many times have you been stuck behind an enterprise box truck? Uh, yesterday, actually. <laughs> yesterday, stuck behind a U-Haul truck. It went about 60 uh, and traffic on the right of me was going by and not defending the speed, but at least 85 or 90 in the other lanes. And I would just pin because everybody kept passing on the right. I couldn't go around. If um, you rent one of these trucks, you should be required <laughs> to to swear that you will move over. You will not drive in the left well, lane. Well, or here's, move over. well, here's it's, a question. Well, here's a question. Are you even allowed to be in that lane in one of those trucks? I'm not sure that you are. Well, looking at the Dutch driver's manual again, if we could use that as an example, it is expressly prohibited that somebody driving a vehicle over a certain length or with a trailer is allowed to be in the left lane. And so I, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't study the DMV driver's manual like you did, Mark. <laughs> so I don't know for sure, but I mean, I, I think that should be a pretty clear rule, you know? And yeah. Well, I know, I, I don't know about box trucks, but I know for sure if you're towing something, uh, you are not allowed to be in the passing lane uh, whatsoever. Uh, but again, it's an enforcement issue. Uh, I, I do know we don't have as many uh, CHP officers as, as we once had. There's been kind of that slowdown, which some people may say, yay. <laughs> Who knows? But 
definitely if you're pulling a trailer you only for the purpose of passing are you allowed to be in that lane and even then it's it's very subjective if you should even be over there so all of our firefighter listeners driving lifted ford f-150s or chevy silverados towing towing their boats boats, towing their boats you need to move over you need to move over let's (laughs) lost one of our two (laughs) listeners (laughs) let's do something uh helpful for folks now um so we just talked about, Matt, you got the, the Polestar uh, recently. I got the Audi SQ7. We both uh, got some work done initially, and so we thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about uh, car cleaning, maintenance. Uh, and when we're talking about that totally. maintenance, we're talking about exterior, you know, maybe some interior stuff, but non-mechanical uh, kind exactly. of maintenance. Exactly. Uh, and I, and I think paint bo- protection. And both of us are in a similar situation because I think both of our vehicles are parked a lot of time outdoors uh correct me if i'm wrong i think you have you do have a garage i, I keep mine yours. in the garage but any time i spend outdoors in the car worries me so <laughs> <laughs> anytime well, i park, i'm the guy you know that has to park like a mile away from the store to, to I, i've started doing that you too. started doing that. Yeah. but what you discover is when you come back you're a magnet for every idiot in the world That's this exactly. happened to me the other day i parked in an empty parking lot like a mile away from where I was at, I get back. When I got there, there was no cars in this corner. It was this sort of darkened corner where you're probably going to get mugged if right, you park right, there. Exactly. I get back, and, and it is like, packed. There's like a 1990 Ford Taurus to one side. Yes, like a, yes. You know, I, get... I think a rather beat up El Dorado <laughs> yeah, right. on the other side of me. <laughs> so it's guaranteed to happen. So this is an issue that uh, we uh, care about a lot, uh, protecting paint. And, and I, we, I know a lot of people do as well. If you have any sort of... If you have a, a sports car, performance car, even your daily driver, really, you, you, there's different options you have. Um, you know, a popular one these days is ceramic coating. Um, it sounds, uh, I, when I first heard about it a few years ago, I was like, oh, what's that? That sounds exotic. And it's just an advance in technology. I, I think of it as like a, lo- a, a wax that stays on for potentially years that's exactly what i was gonna say i think it's just a, it's a glorified wax essentially it goes on like a yeah. glorified wax uh yeah and it sort of protects your car in a similar way it doesn't provide any you know rock chip protection or anything yeah. like that but it'll it, protect you from some mild you know the kind of swirl scratches you might get from if you wash your car improperly or you know the kids you know rub their hand against the car it can protect from small things but yeah it won't protect from rock chips but you know neither does wax or polish and, and what people do and but, honestly it well, takes about as much time like if you're waxing your car now you should probably stop and and invest in some ceramic coating totally totally uh so doing the polestar i mean well both of our cars are pretty much brand new i the 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 amount of time required to get it prepped for the ceramic coating was was not that bad so for those folks that don't know i mean essentially what you do is you uh wash the vehicle to get mm-hmm. dirt and contamination off of it then you got to pep the prep the paint surface so in my case that just actually required a little bit of light polishing because there really wasn't anything embedded in the in the in the paint that would require like clay barring or anything so um just a little bit of light polishing and like you said it really goes on like a like a wax when the key is you got to it fairly soon after you got the car that's right that's right that's right so i had with my previous car i had a um, audi sq5 i didn't get around to ceramic coating and it was about i two months after I got the car. Um, and so I had, in that time, had developed some imperfections. So I actually had to go in and polish. So I had to wash, clay bar, polish. 
and all in by the time I was done doing everything ceramic coating I mean it was a easily a 12 hour day um but you know it was it was kind of a you do that once and you're you're good i think i used the ceramic coat i used was a three-year coat it was a lease i was only going to have the car for three years so i'll I'll do that um but and you have different options you can get a three a five ten year ceramic coats uh should you do it yourself or take it somewhere that's really you got to determine time value of money and your time, what it's worth. So, if you so have I help. I, you, you yeah, had I, help I, doing exactly, it. exactly. So I kind of participated in it. I, I, I you had, did kind I, of a hybrid. A you hybrid. kind of paid a little bit and it, participated. It, exactly. So I was sort of a friend of a friend who was a, was a detailer, and um, he agreed to let me kind of work with him. We negotiated a pretty good price, about four hundred and fifty bucks or something, which is not, not bad, bad. For, for doing the whole car. It's yeah. not not a real big car, so yeah, it's not a small yeah. car, but it's not a big car. So yeah. you know, then that's the other things you're going to pay depending on the, the size of the vehicle right and um I, I think having the professional made me a lot more confident and significantly reduced the time that would have been would have yeah. been taken otherwise i think between the two of us you know probably took us about four hours or something yeah you know and so i think it would have taken me a lot longer and i would have been a lot less confident using the product i mean there's some you know you it sort of flashes it goes on the sort mm-hmm. of goes on it flashes and then you got to Buffet, yeah, sort of a yeah, t- a timing thing that you're and and the with. air temperature uh, exactly. has an effect on the flashing time. If you uh, the longer you leave it, the more protection you get, but you also run the risk of like if it over flashes, it will turn into the uh, a tacky substance on the car. And then I've heard I, I haven't encountered that mistake before, but I've heard if that happens, basically you have to buff that area out. That's right, you have to polish it out. Yeah, so that could. I, I could see a lot of issues, but it's not scary by any means. There's no, so many YouTube no. videos to do this. Uh, it's it's also like people get freaked out with uh, 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 orbital polishers if they have to do any polishing. Um, watch lots. Of, if, if you're going to do it, watch YouTube videos. It's not. Don't be afraid of it. I think when you're afraid of something, that's when a mistake's going to happen. You're going to be not. You're going to be so tensed up with fear. You're not really going to be like paying attention to what you're doing. Like I said, when I did it, I did the polishing. I'd never polished a car before, but I watched before I laid a hand on the car. I literally watched probably five to 10 hours of YouTube videos, read websites. Like I had just, I had it down based on other people's experiences. Yeah. I mean, and like exactly like you said, I mean, I think, you know, it's um, you know there's enough resources out there to uh, to help you through it, and I mean I think there'll probably be some professional polishers who will be listening to this who will take exception with what I'm about to say, but I think you know you'd have to be pretty like willful in trying to damage your car to like really like burn through the paint or the certainly out. with modern paints and modern cars. Right. Yeah, yeah. Classics, that's a different thing. You know, exactly. some some have though I have heard and I actually heard this from a professional detailer for you. Uh, smug tesla owners out there that uh <laughs> the paint on teslas is notoriously thin um and so they you know they recommend certainly uh like a clear bra protection for that which raises an issue that's what i had done to my car i was so just I gonna ask it. you yeah you sort of made this decision so i clear i ceramic coated my entire yeah. car you decided to do kind of like a hybrid yeah so i did ceramic coat and a clear bra on the front and part of my motivation was in my all of my previous cars i have suffered significant rock chip damage that required me to i every i've had six audis and every one of them i've paid out at least the 
uh, you know, the, the deductible for my insurance to have something repaired, it, like 500 bucks at a time mm-hmm. from just pretty gnarly rock chips that happen. And this time I was like, I just don't want to do that again. Uh, so I got the clear bra protection on the front. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, I think, and, and I've heard this before, a lot of people don't, maybe more traditional-minded people don't like clear bras, but I think uh, it, the technology's come a long way. Like, I've seen the old-school stuff. Where it's sort of yellows and Kind of yellows. You can see the lines. lines. Even when it's new, you can see the lines. And dirt builds up on the lines, so you can see that. It's come so far. Like, a good installer. Uh, I'm not going to mention where I went because they're not a sponsor yet. But if they want to be, here we are. Um, (laughs) But the the shop that I went to and other shops around, when they're doing it right, you will not see the lines. You will not even know it's there. Uh, it, it's it's a significant investment, but if you're going to keep a car long term and you're concerned about rock chips, particularly with the construction we have on our highways, we were just talking about, I think it's a worthy investment. Is that something you considered doing yourself? I mean, did you look into? Uh, I that was that where on? I was kind of drawing the line. I was like, you know, I, ceramic coat I feel pretty confident with. I've done it, uh, like I said, on my car. I've done the hood of our other car. We have a Forerunner. I've done just like I, I do sections of that. I haven't finished it yet. But the clear, the the clear bra, the the the, the that sort of stuff, like eh, that's where that's a skill right. I don't think right. I have yet. Right. I can right. see I, my image of me trying to do that is like just a crumpled hunk of plastic and me kind of <laughs> tangled up in it with a razor blade. Yeah. And it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and also the one I got is the self healing, okay. which if it gets a chip, it's supposed to um, like in sunlight or any heat, and if that doesn't work naturally, you can use a hair dryer and it will seal it itself back up which is pretty pretty awesome pretty cool and i mean you know you think about what you're spending on a new vehicle these days and you know i think it's it's yeah it, it is my first time doing any sort of paint protection but i think you know it's 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 worth it it's yeah you, know, you want the vehicle to preserve or to keep as much value as possible and i think these these types of things do that so i mean obviously everybody's gonna have a different different line of where they think it's worth it but i mm-hmm. think you know as we kind of talked about like wax bare minimum you know and then yeah the ceramic coating is kind of the next level and then i think yeah then you how we can look at some of these yeah clear uh clear and i think you products. know and, and just to be clear like right if you're going to go to a shop and do ceramic coat on a car or you know suvs obviously going to cost more a car you're probably you know matt you had uh, you participate in the process. So you got a little bit of a discount there, but if you just take it to a shop, you're probably looking in the nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollar range to completely ceramic coat uh, a car for an SUV. It's closer to eighteen hundred. And clear bra is is if you're doing an entire car, I because I, I got quotes on this. I did not do the entire car with clear bra. You're looking close to four grand for an SUV. Uh, but like, let's say like you you buy like you know, Porsche 911, you know, some high-end sports car, high-end European car, it's probably worth it. Exactly. Um, it Just your peace of mind, not having to worry about. And plus it makes things easier to clean. Um, That's been the interesting thing with, the, with all the brand we've been getting with the, the ceramic coating is, you know, it's called, uh, what is it, the hydrophobic. Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. So it, so it um, water kind of beads and, and runs off, and it's, it's really noticeable. And, you know, yeah. you can... I took some quick detailer and wiped down some some dirt, and I mean it just comes right off. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's it's it makes it makes cleaning the car significantly better, easier. And like I said, I, I unfortunately have to park my car outside, and 
you know, just being able to turn what would have been maybe like an hour, yeah. hour and a half of car wash into like a 15 minute. Half yeah. Shortens, shortens your car wash. And then like, if you get like tree sap, it's easier to get off yeah, exactly. bugs on the car. It's easier to get off. And, and, you know, I, I just think cutting, if anything you can do to, to cut down your time spent washing your car so you can actually get out and enjoy it is, is money well spent. Uh, I'm actually going to ceramic coat, the inside of the Audi has a lot of that piano black finish. And so I'm actually going to, I was thinking about doing it this weekend, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see how the weekend goes. But I, I'm going to ceramic coat the, the interior finish, which is something you can do. You can use, it's same ceramic coat you use on the exterior. You can use on interior plastic parts. Uh, and so I've heard that's a good thing. People also get the interior wrapped. You can do that too. That's not something I was willing to spend the money on, but I, I'm definitely going to ceramic coat it myself. You know, I got a real uh, bone to pick with that uh, piano black uh, material. A lot of car manufacturers I know are using mm-hmm. that these days. And I, it looks good, but man, it is impossible possible to keep clean it's like a magnet for dust and fingerprints, fingerprints and uh micro swirl abrasions it, like. it polishes out my my experience is it polishes out reasonably well mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. man i mean like a, a matte finish would be a lot a lot yeah, more user, yeah. user and the funny thing in that particular case at least in my particular car as far as i know and i had looked online now i bought the car that was available i didn't order that one but i had looked into ordering some other cars and had put put in orders for another SQ5 and actually a, a BMW X3M, both that had various forms of this piano black finish. They did not have alternatives, because if they had had an alternative finish for some of this, I would have definitely went for that. So it's becoming yeah quite standard. I see it. I've seen it in in extremely high end cars. You know like Mercedes uh, S500s. Um, you know kind of the S class, and it's just yeah I don't know what's you know, you would if if one thing could be affected by supply chain issues, you would hope it'd be piano black finish. But evidently, they bought it in bulk. It's yeah, an abundant supply. <laughs> unfortunately, you can get it at Costco, I guess. Um, All right, should we move on, Mark? We should move on. So I think it's time to move on to uh, what we're going to call each uh, for each podcast the off ramp. Uh, where so just to set this up, so as we're moving forward, so you'll know what we're getting into. Um, so before we do this, we do actually try to coordinate what we're going to talk about. It may not seem like it at times. <laughs> but for the last part, the off-ramp, we're just going to bring the table topics we have not discussed with each other. It could be a news story. It could be something interesting. be a funny YouTube video. Um, I had a few different things I wanted to discuss, but then I, something popped into my head as we were talking. It's, it's because the weather is not good right now because of COVID. I know a lot of New Year's Eve celebrations have been canceled. Uh, so you may be stuck at home. You need something to watch. So there's a great series on YouTube called The Road to Le Mans. It's, there's two seasons worth, and it is about the actor Michael Fassbender uh, races with, uh, he is a basically Porsche factory driver, and he's racing with Proton Porsche in the European Le Mans series. So this huh. is very high-end stuff. Okay. He's very, very serious uh, about this. It's on YouTube. It's totally free. The episodes are 30 to 45 minutes long. Uh, and it's a lot like, I, I know Drive to Survive, the Netflix thing about Formula One is very popular. I, I would look at it as, as a sports car equivalent to that, but with Michael Fassbender. And he takes it very seriously. Oh, cool. 
Cool. Yeah, that's so a, I that's, that's a, a good bit, tip. I, I would make that recommend. I've watched them all. I would make that recommendation. It's a very, and you see everything. They they don't hold back. There are times where you could see the engineer and drivers argue with each other, second guess each other. There's times when a driver's in uh, in the car and over the radio, they're like arguing about the strategy. Uh, so it's they they don't hold anything back, and it's it's refreshing. And uh, Michael Fassbender, he's he's you know he's not at the top, but he's definitely putting work in he wants to do this cool. he's serious that's a, that's a good tip I, I don't have a good tip i have a, a, a tip of something to watch i have a good tip of what to avoid oh and, well these are good too that would be <laughs> nico rosberg's youtube channel i, I don't know if you've had misfortune i, I just stumbling. watched one the other day did you watch the one where he's driving the f40 yes yeah okay. but i want to say something about that when you're done <laughs> that's basically it i'm just complaining just that, no, it's awful. if you just want to see an entitled silver spoon <laughs> swiss german dude you know all you have to say gall- swiss german yeah, gallivant around monaco like yes this is this is your channel now i actually did watch another video of him interviewing total wolf and that's actually like kind of interesting total wolf is pretty interesting mm-hmm. dude the way Rosberg interacts with him is perhaps not not great, but you know they don't have the rapport like I'm going to be inserting a know? sound clip at this section. You <laughs> <Yeah>. mentioned Toto, <laughs> exactly. This is exactly. our key. No, no, Mike, that was so not right. But uh, you know, I, my advice to our listeners is avoid Nico Rosberg. That's I, I guess I agree. He also he was at there was one episode I just saw. He was at the Ferrari factory doing a tour and he drove some Ferraris. I'm just like, what? like to me, that's sacrilegious. Like you were a Mercedes F1 driver. You do not deserve to be in the Ferrari factory. You were mortal enemies until your death. Exactly. Um, that's how I do it. But I'll say one thing about when he's driving the F40, when they're up in the mountain road and, and don't, you can skip all the video. I think it's like around the seven or eight minute mark. He drives the F40 in anger it's probably about 30 seconds worth of video. That was pretty impressive. I mean, I agree. watching a Formula One driver push this thing on a very nar- uh, narrow mountain road was pretty intense. Especially when it's worth, what, like one and a half, two million dollars yeah. or something? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that takes a lot of courage lot. and a decent amount of But otherwise, uh, is he worth, you know what, it may not even be worth watching that much to see his videos because then you got to watch the other stuff and it's just, yeah, it's, it, that's a good, that's a good warning. Avoid. Nico You've been Rosberg. warned. Doug DeMuro and Nico Rosberg. <laughs> I was Stick about to with send us. you. He just got Doug DeMuro just got interviewed on a, on another podcast Did for he? a couple hours. I was going to send it to you. God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back. We just had to change batteries real quick, just long enough to. Uh, I think we're done. I think we're done. I think we're done. I think well, we're done. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening, and uh, that's it. See you next time. See ya. <laughs>